All right, I'm putting us to the opening sequence. Welcome back to Two Nerds One Quest. Welcome back. Since that bugs some people when they say welcome back. Two Nerds One Quest. That is us. Uh, here for a kind of special episode. And before we get into all that, I need to say something a little sobering and um, kind of kind of downer before we get into. Hopefully, that will lighten as we go through the show. Um, two days ago. A man named Daryl Grove passed away from cancer. Who is Daryl Grove, you ask? Daryl Grove is a podcaster um, that I know on from the American Soccer Show. And that's a daily show. And when you listen to podcasters, I often take it for granted how much of a part of your life they become. And this is not the first time that a podcaster, a prominent podcaster that I thoroughly enjoyed, who I considered a friend who had no idea who the hell I was, um, had passed away. Ryan Davis in 2013 from the Giant Bombcast also passed away. Unexpectedly, this time we actually knew what was going on with Daryl. Um, but it's I find it fascinating how important those people come become to your life sometimes. And so Friday was kind of a rough day for me as I was processing all this and I thought we do this for fun but if we're out there as someone's look forward to thing podcast Sunday morning welcome I hope that we as a group can give you a release from this crazy world and lockdown that we're all in and the fear that you see on TV and in media just help you escape for a while and have an influence on you guys like these podcasters have had on me. So I just need to thank Ryan and Daryl and several other podcasters that are still alive that I listen to. All of them are fantastic. You are a part of my life and a part of our life. I know Norm listens to a lot of podcasts as well. And just thank you for doing what you do. And I hope we can do the same for some other people. All right, so <laughs> let's let's raise the level here. Today's uh, uh, today's show is a bit different. Uh, it's not an adventure. If you're tuning in to find uh, where Crixus and Aaron and Ellie are going next, they're in a homeostasis right now. They're kind of frozen. I don't know if homeostasis is necessarily the time stasis. It's just stasis. Different. We cast stasis on the world for a week. Uh, what we do have here is we're going to go back to the beginning. And we have kind of a special guest here, our moderator from our chat, the Lazy Dragon. Jeff, you want to say hi? Hello, everyone. <laughs> He's going to be our Brian W. Foster. If you've ever watched Talks Machina or Critical Role, you probably know of him. He's going to do ask us some questions. He spent the last two weeks poring over the first 27 episodes, 28 episodes, 28, yep. 28 <laughs> episodes, reviewing everything. 
and uh, pulling together some questions for us. Uh, so I'll turn it over to him. Uh, don't you want to introduce me and Crixus? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the two nerds are here, too. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. We're off to a start. I got all emotional. My head went completely. So Tom M. Norman, Mr. Aranon is <laughs> here. Thanks. God, I'm even doing this backwards in order. And we got uh, Ryan Crixus Gupta here. Ooh. All right, now yeah. we can turn over to the Lazy Dragon. Yeah, <laughs> I'd just like to follow yours up with these. Uh, you three are my uh, most important podcasters that I listen to. So uh, thank you for giving me something to look forward to on really, really early on Sunday morning uh, <laughs> since March, I think, or April. So um, we're right around there. Uh, well, I'd like to start this off the way we started off every recap show so far with some stats. So, oh boy. Uh, uh, most recently, you guys fought a dragon, so I thought you might like to know a little bit about that fight, since uh, it's kind of crazy in the moment. The uh, the dragon dealt 35 damage, although it would have been a lot more had it not been for a, a potion of invulnerability, and he didn't get his breath weapon back, so there was that. Um, the amount of damage the fireballs did was uh, a total of 69. Only 45 hmm. of it went to the dragon, though. 24 went to Delsandra Amzar, uh, your skeleton girlfriend. Uh, total damage to the dragon was 187. Uh, 68 done by Crixus, 66 by Eliana, and 53 by Erna. Uh, Eliana getting that surprise round, so that's her total was up pretty up there. Uh, 25 points of healing was done. Uh, an interesting stat. Final life totals at the end of the battle. Aranon had 33 hit points left. Crixus had 33 hit points left. And Eliana had 33 hit points left. And, <laughs> oh. Yeah, and Delsandra had zero because she was a pilot. Ah. Um, up. And if, if anyone was keeping track, the battle lasted about four rounds. Is that it? Just four rounds? I know, that's right? That's, that's amazing. That always seems to happen. And... Uh, if anyone's keeping track of days, which I was, uh, the uh, if you if day one was when uh, Aranon met a goblin on a road, then uh, day thirty was when Crixus puked in a tip jar. So, then one uh, month in game time. So those are your stats for today. Um, that's fascinating. That really is. So. I'll uh, start with uh, just kind of uh, an intro for, for you as players. I know you've already done some introducing of yourselves and stuff, but just uh, maybe a refresh on your start in D&D and your level of experience. And uh, anybody can go in any order for this one. I'll start, I guess. <clears throat> go for it. So, I, <laughs> hi, my name's Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've been I've been in D and D since, well, March. <laughs> so this is my first foray into Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, this is my first ever campaign, first ever character, first ever everything. Um, no experience. Uh, I know JC. The whole reason this show kind of started was JC was bothering me probably for, I shouldn't say bothering me. He mentioned it a couple times, a couple months previous, and we had talked about doing a podcast again. Um, we had done, as I'm sure you're all aware, because he almost says it every single freaking episode, <laughs> uh, talking 1265. 
and uh and it, it's been about three or four years since we've done a podcast together and so we we were kind of looking for a way to do that and dungeons and dragons seemed like the best way to have fun not be serious not have to really do anything other than the show which i mean i know jc is he's the D, he's, yeah he's the dm but it's nice it's nice to not have to like sit down for three hours watch a thing and then you know try to remember everything that happened in that thing where here yeah. you know you just have to prepare some stuff and you had the guide in front of you which is nice so uh it's really kind of an interesting thing that you mentioned tom because i was i was kind of bothering tom about playing D. And we always had it in our head. We talk about it all the time. We should do another podcast. We should do another podcast. It was actually Tom's idea to say, hey, let's do a D&D podcast. Let's do an adventure and stream it and make a podcast out of it. Um, both me knowing that he would love D&D if he got into it <laughs> and the desire for us to do a podcast again was very much the collaboration of those two ideas was was him when he presented it to me i went oh, duh. this is yes <laughs> let's do this so that's kind of where this spawned yeah it was kind of a no-brainer it was kind of a i really want to do this but i just i don't have four hours you know to get together in a group especially with everything that was happening you know with everything closing down and people getting sick and stuff it's like well that's dumb i can't, I can't go so um yeah, I mean, this just seemed like the easiest way. You get up, you go wherever it is that your computer is, you sit down, you discuss. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, that's the way most podcasts work is you, you know, you have your opportunity to talk to somebody that you really enjoy talking to and you put it out to the world. You want to run us through your background, Ryan? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hey, y'all. Ryan Kukta. I, uh, I've only been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a few years now, maybe a little more than two years, right? I think um, we we're beyond three years in my campaign. Like are we years. beyond yeah, three he, years? That's insane. And a half. He didn't start right at the beginning, so yeah, he's c closing in on three years. I think yeah. in uh, at the end of this year. <clears throat> that sounds right. Well, um, long time nerd though, so oh, yeah. um, it does come naturally to me. So. Um, I am a retirement plan consultant by nature, and uh, so this is the other half of me. <laughs> the half that isn't sitting at a desk and doing numbers all day. So, um, But uh, yeah, I really enjoy um, making characters and kind of bringing them to life is my favorite part of the entire thing. And combat. I love ripping it up. So That's great. That's my deal. Uh... JC, John, uh, let's see. God, I've been playing. I was thinking about this the other day. I've been playing for almost six years now. Started in, um, well, I've had an interest in Dungeons and Dragons since I was eight. The cartoon back in the 80s. I remember at one point in middle school, I had one friend. Actually, no, it wasn't even middle school. It was probably still grade school. My friend bought the red box from Walden Books, and we went and we were talking about it and looking through the books going, this is so cool, and I have no clue what the hell to do. 
<laughs> so, um, and then I remember another friend of mine in middle school who did have the red box and understood it. And I went to his house a couple of times and we, um, I don't remember anything about that. I think I had a rogue. It was either a rogue or a wizard. It was something that didn't have a lot of hit points because I remember dying a lot. <laughs> um, and then I didn't I played Magic the Gathering for a good long while and finally said to myself, you know what, I want to play D&D. I want to get into this. So I went to the local game store and um, someone, the, the owner said, hey, you don't want to play D&D right now. Fourth edition is a bastardization of this game. Um, here, try Pathfinder. So I tried, I got into Pathfinder Society, played that for about a year and a half. Uh, started DMing in there, um, then started doing a couple of like one shot games with friends here and there, and like fifth edition came out. I bought the player's handbook, dungeon master's guide, monster manual, had all that stuff, and I'm like, I want to start, want to start a game. If I can get, well, I know my, I got, I know my friend Dave would be in. I know Rick would be in. I know Mike would be in. That's Jeff will. Jeff will play. If I can get him to play, he'll be in. I know it. <laughs> Lazy Dragon's nodding his head. Mm. And so that was my initial group. Then I went, here, let's start a campaign. And we had two sessions. I'm just going once a month. Two sessions there with those four. And then I was able to bring my friend Mel in for just get female perspective in on the situation. And then that just blossomed and eventually Ryan came in and then some other friends of ours came in and that's my homebrew campaign that I've been running for a little over three years at this point. It blows my mind that that's been going up for three years. And I've started several other games now. Uh, quarantine has done it. There's been a lot of, besides this show, <laughs> I uh, somewhere about a year and a half ago, a different friend started a game that I started playing in. And then when the quarantine went on, I started another. I decided, hey, I want to run Curse of Strahd. So I started another group running Curse of Strahd. And another friend contacted me and said, hey, um, how do you get into D&D? And I said, well, do you have four people? They said, yes. And I said, okay, well, here, I'll run a game for you. So I'm running another game. <laughs> Good Lord, man. And just keeps piling up. <laughs> the nice thing is, is I only have one homebrew. So the rest of it, I, it's just reading to prep. So <laughs> reading and good improv skills. You know, it's funny when you talk about Magic the Gathering and stuff. I've technically, I guess you could say that I've been into D&D &D and stuff ever since, you know, the cartoon. You know, we watched the cartoon, mm -hmm. the glorious, glorious Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, which I actually still like. I watched an episode of it probably a couple weeks ago. It, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not great, but it's fun. Um, Where did you even find something like that? Session. <laughs> I think it's on, where did I watch it? YouTube? On YouTube. Yeah. Out there on YouTube, just search Dungeons and Dragons 80s cartoon. Someone's got it in a playlist. Yeah. Um, but I also played Magic and I also did, uh, what was it? What was the other one we started with? Genius Spellfire? Spellfire, yeah. Yeah. Which and, is uh, which is D&D based. All the characters are D&D. &D, uh, uh, was owned by TSR at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Forgotten Realms and Dragonlance and um, Greyhawk and. Yeah. Moth. And I read, the, you know, the Dragonlance books uh, in middle school and. Half half of the video games I play are probably D and D based. Divinity, Divinity Original Sin two I'm playing right now, and that's strong D and D based. Um, you know, all of the Final <laughs> Fantasy games aren't D and D, but they have that turn based 
stats, loot. Oh, they they evolved from that. That's anything. Yeah. And video games today evolved from D and D. Like every video game, you have experience and levels and gear and yep. all that is goes back to D and D in nineteen mid nineteen seventies in yeah. Geneva, Wisconsin. Not far from us. No, it really isn't. But yeah, so I mean, my interest in Dungeons and Dragons has been always there. It's just actually doing it yeah. the actual real thing sitting down pen paper character well computer clicking buttons and th rolling dice yeah good All right, stuff geez. good stuff so um so now we've, we've got a little bit about the players how about a little uh, intro to the characters you guys uh did do a, a considerable amount of backstory and uh more evolved as it came along but um Tell me a little about your choices of races, classes, character names. Um, I don't think we ever got Aaron on surname if he has one and why he was headed to Fandolin in the first place. Um, we, uh, I know that at some point there was an alternative to Eliana that we never got to see. I think maybe it was a warrior. And I'm not sure that we got much on Crixus other than he was from Neverwinter and he got captured at some point. So uh, take it away. Yeah, I'll start Anyone again. So Arnon was headed to wherever. He's he's a lone wolf. He was just looking for things to steal and money to get and jobs to do. I mean, he's just basically a wanderer thief. Um, he doesn't have a surname because he doesn't know who his family is. So he's, he's just Arnon. He was... Here, let me pull up my description here. Uh, I have my character. No, my background. Here we go. Oh, maybe not. Do, 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 do. <laughs> anyway, so basically what happened was he was abandoned. He He's a half-elf. Um, I chose half-elf because I through the Dragonlance, I really liked the character of uh, Tannis. I loved that character. He was my favorite throughout the whole thing. And... Uh, I really, for some reason, whenever I create characters in things, they're either elf, half-elf, that style. Um, so to me, it just made sense. And uh, yeah, so he, he was abandoned. He He's a lone wolf because he had a friend who was a thief with him uh, when they were young, and he got captured, arrested, <laughs> and... Uh, and Aranon pretty much ran away, and he hadn't heard from him since. And so he just kind of stayed lone wolf. He doesn't know who his parents are. He doesn't know uh, much of anything. So he's just kind of always been on his own. So Fandolin was just a, a random. I need. I need to. I need to find a place to steal something, and Fandolin's just as good as anywhere else. Yep. Yeah, he was the next place on the map, which is really. I'm sitting here listening to Tom talk about Ernan and what he is, and I'm going, yeah, at least the same thing with less devious um, actions. Uh, she's wandering the world looking to help people, <laughs> keep people alive, and spread the word of Lathander. And um, she initially was a sidekick. And going back and looking at the sidekick rules, I massively misinterpreted them, and this could have been very, very different. Uh, she could have been like a 
goblin or uh, like maybe the goblin that, that you killed. I didn't know how I was going to introduce a sidekick. Uh, I figured we'd go straight forward, but the goblin battle going the direction it went, I went, oh God, I need to send someone in to save her. <laughs> and Ellie was born in the, actually in that moment. It went realizing that if, if I kill him in the first session with a goblin, um, <laughs> we aren't really going much of anywhere. <laughs> so uh, she was more of a means to an end. Um, in fact, did I even say her name in the first one? Yeah, she introduced herself, I think. Did she? So. Um, naming convention, I was playing Last of Us 2. At, at that point, so Ellie, I figured, well, what's a what's an actual proper name for Ellie would be at like Eliana. Uh, she does have a surname, Tamarin. Um, I don't know where that came from. Um, possibly Patrick Rothfuss's world. There's uh, Temic is a language in that world, and I probably took that and devolved in or evolved that into Tamarin. Um, but as far as like a warrior, it could have been a warrior, um, but that would have been someone you would have met at a tavern or something in Phandalin. Um, but realizing how he was in the beginning was like, no, it needs to be a cleric. <laughs> he definitely needed a sidekick before he got to the tavern. Yes. I needed a sidekick five minutes into the freaking adventure. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I remember correctly, you didn't roll too well. Going into oh, that no. First I was, I think oh, I was rolling. I didn't think remember getting anything over a five it took yeah. you about three weeks to get some good dice rolls you needed a lot of practice back then practice rolling dice <laughs> <laughs> um other than that developing ellie uh some of it was just for tom being new to dungeons and dragons it's like okay well let's see how he handles like a romantic connection and throw that at him and um, see how he handles someone that is like his opposite. That is caring and is going to kind of try and pull him in line and make him a better person from what he is. And just that foil to for character growth, basically. It, players will usually react one way or another with something like that. And it's either they're going to it or they're going to repel against it and either way you get a better story because the characters come together and they actually start working together or they fight with each other and the drama that ensues ends up being actually pretty damn good and <laughs> I have a couple of examples being in several games now where the teams, there are, I have people that it took sessions like 10-15 sessions before they started working together my Curse of Strahd game, they did, they, they were at each other from the beginning. They got one wandering off down a path, and uh, the paladin is fighting with the cleric about whether or not the undead should be killed immediately, and it, which was really, it's really wild to see stuff like that happen. Then it's like, and then as a DM, I'm like, ah, how do I, what thread do I present to pull them together? Um, bringing Ryan in was a it's always kind of an interesting thing when you have because you're kind of a slave to the story a bit uh, and i try not to railroad anybody but bringing in a new character it's like okay so we're in this um in the manse it's like well, when we're going to the manse 
yeah, sure, you can just have him bump into him in the woods, but what are the chances of that? And it's always fun, because I don't... Did I tell you you were a prisoner? Before we brought you in, Ryan? Um, no. I think that was, no, like, the day was before I think I might have said... You, yeah. You, yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna wake up somewhere. <laughs> so presenting that, I always love trying to poke at people coming out of unconsciousness. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's always a fun way to present uh, problems, and um, just bringing him up and it's like, okay, yeah, here these orcs probably caught him in the woods somewhere. He was out helping people and doing him, and oops. So you want to talk about yeah. Crixus? Yeah, so when I originally designed Crixus, my thought was I wanted kind of a fish out of water guy, like um, just some guy that stands out. And I think Tiefling is an interesting character dynamic where like there are not a lot of Tieflings and they are a color variant. Like they could be blue or purple or red, like it's just not normal. And so I like the way that tieflings kind of stand out against the crowd a little bit. And uh, especially like in forgotten realms, um, it just doesn't come up where there's a ton of tieflings around. So I kind of like that character dynamic and I played a tiefling before and uh, hellish rebuke is pretty awesome. So I dig that. Um, but in choosing kind of a cleric, it, it kind of, um, you know, came from um, a quick discussion with John. John didn't let me know that there was already a cleric in the party, and I hadn't listened to very many of the podcasts before, so it really didn't resonate with me. But I really wanted, again, to explore a character that I hadn't um, really dug into yet, and cleric was... Um, one of those that I hadn't done before. So um, I think it was interesting to me as I was developing the backstory now that I have a tiefling cleric, per, um, pretty odd. It just wouldn't fit into your normal um, relationship. So it kind of led me down to the backstory. So the backstory of Crixus is that he, um, his parents were killed and that hasn't been necessarily dealt with yet in the, in the podcast, but effectively he was nurturing the dead body of his mother and singing her a lullaby as a young child. Um, and some Sunni clerics came up on this situation and typically if you know um sunni as a god uh there are you know it's usually elves it's all about beauty and uh natural majesty and a tiefling wouldn't fit in that in that type of uh, uh scenario except his voice was was so sweet and so beautiful as a child they found value in the beauty of that. So effectively adopted him and that started him down the path of a cleric um, under the Sunni God. So, 
So effectively, you know, he tended flowers and things like that to bring some natural beauty to the world and effectively was um, just starting to venture out and create his own identity um, by doing tasks and things like that for townspeople to try to bring some calm and peacefulness to the world. And so effectively, I imagine that's where he got caught by the orcs and ready for sacrifice. It's a little uh, window into Crixus. It's really, excuse me, having Eliana be a cleric and Crixus be a cleric now. Um, And Crixus, as people in the last couple episodes, you notice he's drifting hard. Still gonna have that cleric in him, but he's drifting bard, and um, it's really kind of interesting as characters progress. The things that you add to him, the moments that add um, those little, where you go, oh, maybe I take a level in this. And there's a lot of people that will actually lay the whole character out, min max it, and have it be, this is where I'm going, this is what I'm doing, and whatever for the story. Um, I I have players that, though, will take a moment in the story and go, oh, yeah, I mean, like Ryan did. He, he, he got this loot, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, let's go here. Let's let's follow this, because this will be cool. We have two clerics I can branch out a bit. And and you take those story moments and make your character representative of that the life they lived during this adventure, which is super cool. Yeah, you can definitely see the difference between the young, hopeless, romantic cleric and the seemingly wise beyond his years, uh, uh, charismatic cleric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Crixus, Crixus as a character is, I mean, I've, I set him at 40 as an age. They live longer than a, you know, than a normal human, but effectively, he's got a lot of experience in life behind him already, so... He definitely knows his way around the world. Well, and that's the thing with, with Aranon is is that he's young. You know, for half-elf, you know, they don't live as long as elves. But I have him set at, uh, I believe, uh, 40s as well. And that would be extremely young. That would be, you know, what? I don't know what that would go into. It would be like a 20-year-old, or, you know, 25-year-old for for the average human. Uh, yep. I'm sure I'll be corrected by somebody. Uh, I hear about it. But, you know, the way he acts is the way a 20-year-old person would act. You know, he's kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's impulsive. Brash. Brash, impulsive. He's all about himself. You know, he, he hasn't grown up yet. He's seen a lot, um, which I found my... Uh, I found my information, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, he's young and it shows in pretty much everything he's done up to this point. He's, you know, the impulsivity is kind of what got him in trouble a couple times. And, and I think to be honest, like being a little bit selfish, self-centered, and is kind of a tenet of youth. Like you're more focused on self and not focused on others. And I think 
he's lived a life where he's had to focus on himself. So mm-hmm. a little bit more, you know, his decisions are made on what he wants and what he thinks instead of what we should and what we want. So. Yep. And, and just for my backstory, um, just so you really know, uh, uh, I have it written down. Found in the woods as a toddler and raised by pickpockets, Aaron surpassed the master thief by the time he was 10. At the age of 12, he and a friend were out when Aaron picked the pocket of a high noble human. The noble felt something and turned around. Aaron fled with his friend Garp, which, JC, uh, mm-hmm. Scott Johnson, that's where I stole mm-hmm. that from. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I, you didn't even have to say that. Yeah. I knew that. I figured, but for those, I, I, that is completely stolen that name. Cause it makes me laugh every time he says it. Um, uh, turn on Aaron. I fled with his friend Garp close behind Garp was captured and sent to the dungeons and Aaron never saw him again. After that, Aaron started going out on his own to steal. After a while, he found himself all alone with no real friends to speak of, which suited him just fine. So, you know, being found as a toddler, up to having his friend ripped out from him and that's kind of how he's lived his life he's oliver twist and he lost the artful dodger <laughs> Truth. we'll uh we'll get into some more of that as as we will go through so uh i kind of split the the adventure into three parts um roughly 10 sessions each so i'll read a quick recap of what happened so you guys can uh can think about it uh the first 10 sessions it was a lot of introduction a lot of the stuff you guys are already talking about um so uh real quick ernan a lone rogue falls to a goblin on the trail between neverwinter and Fandolin. brought back by a romantic cleric named eliana they join together to make some coin and help people on constant watch for a white dragon they topple a manticore to windmill on their way to save the citizens of nomengard from a mimic disguised as a wine cat ask they then learn of orcs at the Butterskull Ranch, home of Big Al Calazorn, a dear friend of Eliana. On the road, they have a brief encounter with Francesco, a harper, causing Aranon to question her trusting nature and Eliana to explain her backstory. Al is found and the ranch is readied for battle. The four invading orcs become three as the dragon grabs a snack. Once the orcs are dealt with and all is secure, they all travel back to Fandolin to celebrate old friends and new friends. So, uh... That was kind of a good a good stopping point for the first uh, sub arc, I thought. Um, my first question on that: uh, this is probably for uh, uh, the uh, norm most, but the DM uh, three deaths in three battles. How'd that uh, uh, design the beginning of your D and D adventure, there, Norm? Uh, you you died, I think, or you went unconscious twice, and <laughs> Oyana went unconscious once in three battles, first three battles in a row. Yeah, the the dice is a fickle mistress. Uh, it, yeah, I definitely didn't expect to to get knocked out that many times. Um, it was it was a rough road, but it also kind of fit the way everything was going because the dice kind of didn't agree with us for the, most of our sessions. That first, I say that first ten sessions around, we had a hard time rolling anything proper. As a DM, I really kind of enjoyed that because it set the expectation of lethality. Um, you can die. It will happen. And that was kind of a running joke, you know, throughout, even up until this point is the number of times that we've, you know, however many times we've gotten into trouble and had to roll our way out or I've gotten killed or Ellie's almost gotten me killed and she almost got herself killed with the dragon. I mean, that's just kind of a, 
that's just a byline right now. That's that's the entire <laughs> session. That's everything. And you get to a certain point, like, and another thing is this being a group of three individuals, Eliana, Crixus, and Aranon, it's easier to set that up as a DM to threaten them. I the the homebrew game that you and Ryan are both in, we have seven players. You guys are all level 15 at this point. It is very difficult to threaten you guys without out and out killing you. <laughs> the balance is so difficult there. Um, so, so I'm actually really kind of glad that there were that many downs early on because it sets, like I said, it sets that threat level. It sets that lethality level mindset that, oh shit, we could die any moment here. Um, and with three people, it's easy to easier to balance that out. The, the, math behind it that the Wizards of the Coast has set up for it works out better. An interesting um, thought to mind. I don't know if you have questions about this. Uh, in moments where um, you have moments sometimes as a DM where your players will ask something and you aren't ready. 99% of the time for me it's a name. It's some throwaway NPC. It's a guard or a guy ending a horse in a village and what's your name oh, yeah and you guys all laugh at me because you can see it in my face when you say it I go, I, bob his name's bob um but then i have other moments where i actually improv something i go nope that works that's very good and one of those things is ellie's relationship with big al i didn't have that planned until that moment that aaron said what's big al to you and i was like oh and so that was off the top of my head. And then I was able to develop it more as I started talking. I could just kind of rambled my way into it. And I'm actually kind of proud of that moment. So, yeah, that worked yeah, out I watched really well. That twice. And I would not have guessed you made that up on the fly. <laughs> that was good. That was good stuff. Uh, Norm, uh, uh, what I noted, one of the things I noticed during this part of the campaign. Uh, and I think I see, I've seen this in myself and in other people as they start to play D&D, because I got to see uh, Ryan's beginning too. Um, a noticeable shift in your play style from every sentence being, he goes, Aranon does this, uh, can he do that, to I would like to, or I think Aranon would do this, and starting to basically saying, let's go, and just talking in the first person, and, and that definitely happens. Did you notice that as you went along, that you went from this character being something outside of yourself to it being yourself? Yeah, I I wanted to... So when we first started, I was pretty self-conscious, obviously, because who talks like that and who, you know, it was more or less kind of finding my stride. Um, it was a little uncomfortable at first, but it, it was, you know, it, it makes more sense to actually play the character and uh, immerse yourself in it, I guess is the right word. Um, but yeah, just trying to find my play style and getting out of my head as to what can actually happen versus what I can do. So like the option, like in one of our battles, trying to dive headfirst through a window, you know, in those first 10 sessions really wasn't an option. And it wasn't until that same fight where I decided like, I can literally do anything. So I st that's when I started incorporating the wrestling moves. You know, and that's not something that I would have done either. 
you know, that's not something that I would have thought of doing session two against a goblin, you know, climbing a tree and giving him the people's elbow from, you know, I, that's not something I would have thought of. So that's, I, you know, I, I kind of put myself in a rogue state of mind. Finding that D&D &D mentality, it's just the freedom that the game gives you. Like video games, you're locked into a rule set and there are invisible walls and places and uh, impassable things. And you can only do what the button inputs allow you to do. And seeing you come out of that shell and go, I can do anything. And I think that trying to dive through that window was that moment. Granted, that's a little bit later than these first 10 episodes. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to that point. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting finding a character's voice doesn't just mean like what your character would say in a certain situation, what your character would do, what options you have in front of you, if how your character would react to the other characters. When you're first learning Dungeons and Dragons, it's all about the roles and the mechanics and stuff like that. But by the time you're a few sessions in, you realize it's actually not about the roles it's actually about choosing what to do and then having the dm have to use the roles as a way to mitigate well you're not magic so how would the world physics how would the you know the likelihood that you miss or the likelihood you fail how would that equate to a role and the dm's critical in those moments where it's like okay I jump out of a window, I can't fly, so what happens? And, mm -hmm. and trying to equate that to a role. So, uh, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about from the first 10 sessions, or I'll move to the next part? No, I mean, I think uh, the first 10 sessions was a good learning experience. I, I would say that that's where all the learning, yeah. and obviously, I mean, I'm still, I don't understand half of the mechanics yet, but I... I the 10, I'd say the first 10 sessions was a good learning experience mm -hmm. for Dungeons and Dragons. All right, getting, uh, getting into the, the next, uh, next eight, nine sessions. Um, this is where we uh, definitely was more um, relationship uh, learning and less introduction. So uh, here's, here's what happened. Um, the next quest takes the unlikely duo deep into the Neverwinter Wood with Vincent the Ox and a load of supplies to a logger's camp. They seek and destroy an infestation of scary mantis creatures. Aranon spectacularly meets a window and then befriends the head of the camp. Once Vincent is safely back in Phandalin, Aranon and Eliana uh, begin to unlock the secrets of an orcish cult in the Neverwinter Woods when they visit Falcon's hunting lodge. They soon realize that the boars they have been seeing are shape-shifting orcs in disguise. They first clear the orcs out of a local woman's house and then a haunted manse where they meet the charismatic tiefling cleric Crixus. The party grows to three and Eliana convinces them to search for the dragon slayer, a legendary sword. They travel via river from Falcon's Lodge past the loggers camp all the way to Neverwinter. The big city offers encounters with Harpers, Zentarum, and Acquisitions Incorporated, but most surprising is Eliana's show of affection towards Aranon, which doesn't achieve the desired effect. <laughs> um, so, an interesting uh, Interesting thing there, listening to you talk about the boars that shapeshift. They encountered a boar on the way to Big Al's. 
And that boar was one of those boars, and that was so far from the actual realization that I don't know if you understood or made that connection at the time that that boar you saw on the road on the way to Big Al's was one of these orcs. Just kind of monitoring things. So if I would have tried to attack it, it would have shapeshifted? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Which could have been a combat on the road. And it's, it's always fun to reveal little things like that after the fact. Like, the orcs are taking care of their... We've kind of finished this adventure. There isn't going to be a real through line to them. Um, at this point, you've gone in and taken care of the uh, Circle of Storms. So, but that would have been... Uh, yeah, could have had you shot at it. It would have popped yeah, up. I, I will say it's very interesting following along in the adventure and seeing where it diverts and where it doesn't and watching for those triggers, like like if they would have attacked the boar. I think there was one point he scared the boar away instead of shooting it. Um, I think uh, other things like that was touching those little voodoo sticks, uh, voodoo doll sticks. If you wouldn't have touched them, they would have just sat there and done nothing. And It's like waiting to see if he does what it says in the book to, to trigger that stuff is always... Always going out on the roof of that uh, one building and having it collapse. Right. Yep. All yeah, that stuff. So, is uh, I, I warned the other two earlier, uh, or at least I warned Norm. Uh, do you, uh, uh, I guess the question is um, fighting, when you defeated the scary mantis creature, you, uh, uh, you took an acid gland from it. And that was on day 13, and I believe it was said that it'll last for about two days before it starts eating through its container. So uh, I don't know if, uh, if the DM remembers that or if, or if you remembered you had it, but uh, hopefully it's in some nice tempered glass. I don't know. <laughs> I if don't recall them putting it in tempered glass. <laughs> there may or may not be a question here, just something I wanted to remind the DM about in case it uh, leads <laughs> to some humorous stories later. It's, it's interesting going back and seeing all of the things that happened and all of the things that were collected and everything else and seeing how they were used or not used yet. So, yeah. Um, but uh, let's see. Challenge. A question. 19 white claws. Yeah. <laughs> a uh, question for you. Uh, DM Coraline's house. That was homebrewed, yes? Yes. Coraline's house was me realizing that I played something differently than the storyline like i had read it and then i when it happened i finished that session i went back and looked at it and went that wasn't supposed to go that way <laughs> hmm. all right well we got this how do i how do i draw this back to the story because <laughs> um, at that point i had in my head that they would come across the manse there then I realized, oh, wait, no, the manse connects to Falcon's Lodge. So this needs to be something different because this is not the manse. There is way more going on at the manse than I realized. So I made that separate thing in that storyline and Coraline's romance with Falcon. All that was homebrewed and off the hmm. general storyline. Um, Speaking the of Falcon was a, was a um, way to tie it to the world. Yeah. Speaking of the romance with Falcon, uh, when you first introduce Coraline, she talks about her, I think her child was with her and her husband had been left behind. And then, uh, so that was a quick turnaround with the romance with Falcon. I don't know if she had uh, <laughs> enough grieving time there, but uh, I think only the diehard fans will, will notice that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes uh, you make rash decisions when losing a loved one. 
that's true. As far as romance goes, and you can get yourself in trouble. Yeah, Who stressful knows? Situ- stressful situations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Norm, why don't you talk about the addition of uh, Kucha Crixis, um, and uh, adding another player? And mainly, I wanted to hear about uh, the social change of not just having the DM to bounce things back and forth on, but actually another mm-hmm. physical person. Yeah, it was. Uh, so John brought it up to me like two weeks before Ryan actually joined, and uh, it was it was a well it was welcome for one. It wasn't like oh, let's let's think about it. it. Was more of a let's think about how this is going to logistically, uh, computer wise, audio wise, <laughs> work out. How do we do this technically? <laughs> yeah, because we were doing it on Hangouts. And then when Crixus joined, that's that's the point where we moved to Discord. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, if you have been listening and watching, there have been some hiccups, but I think we have those ironed out for the most part. Um, it was it was fun. I, I'm glad he, w- he was able to do this, and uh, it, it really seems to fit. It gives the, the team more of, uh, more of a dynamic approach to solving issues more than just me and Ellie looking at each other and saying, well, we're doing this now, I guess. Now we have a a third voice that's, you know, we have to consider that. We have to consider somebody else in the group or they leave. You know, if, if we had just said no, if I had put my foot down and said, screw you, you're not coming, you know, that would have been a one session hit for, for Crixus. That would have been an argument between Eliana and Aranon for sure. Yeah. Because she would have fought to take him along. Yeah. Especially seeing that he was a cleric. Yeah. Uh, so... For a, a DM perspective, having that other voice, because I don't want to railroad the game and I don't want to send it along, but sometimes there's information that you can get that is helpful. So typically, I was having Tom make the rolls and. If he failed, then I would use Ellie as a backup, but sometimes they, neither one of them got it. And there were things she knew, and I, I'll talk about that in the next session because it happened in the third chunk of things. I, I made a, I made some choices where I, after the session, I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. Because one of the biggest things DMing and uh, something that can be very annoying to players is the DM running a player character. And I am adamantly in my head all the time just trying not to run her as a character and run her as an npc i i'm not part of the party necessarily so i i don't want to be making the choices for the party so if you notice i always try and make suggestions with her and then leave ultimately leave it up to the two of them what to do and wow one of the times where i didn't do that um i really kind of i was bad at myself post-session <laughs> And I'll explain that later. Yeah, I, I think, you know, from my perspective, I I really thought the relationship between Aranon and Eliana was so interesting and that Ellie was controlled by the DM. At, you know, my initial thought was JC can use this as a vehicle to drive the party to the next thing, but... Yeah, hearing your perspective, John, it's like, well, you can voice options through the character, but it obviously, you know, is not your intent to like become that video game where you can only go to one location. 
you you want this to be a living breathing world and the only way to do that is you can provide options but the final decision has to be made by the live character mm -hmm. so yeah when i um when jc kind of mentioned would you be interested you know set uh sunday mornings 8 30 a.m maybe but uh <laughs> i think what was the linchpin for me is you know I, I really looked at it for at you know two sundays and it's like well my family's not up and around yet so this sounds like a really cool idea to get more into D D because i've like during the quarantine this is great this is amazing for me to explore you know getting out and about without getting out and about so um I thought it was an awesome idea and I'm super glad that I got the invitation and that I did it because it, it is so interesting to run with, with Tom, very different personality, very different character than, um, you know, some of the other people that I've had in the Dungeons and Dragons I've done so far. So uh, it's a fun experience to explore. And let's be honest, it's, it's a great way for all of us to hang out and just dick around. Yeah. Truth. <laughs> just in general. Absolutely truth so towards the end of that arc then uh, or that sub arc i'll call it uh was based on the uh the results of the, the the feelings and the kiss that maybe eliana you know finishes out this adventure and then stays in neverwinter kind of want to get everybody's thoughts on what's going on through your mind as as that suggestion comes through whether that's a reality whether that would be a, a lost uh a lost friend or just doing business I think the initial intent was bringing Ryan in that we would drop Eliana. But the relationship between Eliana and Aranon and then Crixus's meddling within that, so meddling, um, just kind of nudging her, saying, hey, follow your feelings and stuff, and being more of a, for lack of a better term, older brother or father figure to her. Um, the dynamic between the three of them became very interesting because it wasn't a love triangle, so to speak, but a they all had intentions with each other as mm. far as what they wanted to do. And it honestly, she she is a good tool to present information. And honestly, one of my favorite characters I've ever created. So I got, I got, I got to go there. Just getting rid of her seemed like too much. I'm like, I can't do that. I, I love her. She's fantastic. Well, and, and at first it seemed like, oh well, yeah, let's you know, let's bring Crixus in. Let's keep it a two man party. But kind of as I think we thought about it, it seemed to make more sense to keep her on, um, just for the sheer fact that it gives us an extra person to handle stuff as opposed to. You know, we did run into a lot of trouble running two people and uh, or two characters um, and having a third seemed to make sense. And it didn't really seem to make sense story wise that she would just leave. Yeah. If, if I would have been a complete jerk to her, then, yeah, that would have made more sense. But for as selfish as Aranon is, he's not, you know, yeah, he's an ass, but he's not. I'm, he's just an ass. He's yeah. He, he's he's not, not heartless. He he presents yeah. himself as heartless and all about the money, but 
after, you know, whatever it would have been at that point, three weeks on the road game time or two week, two and a half weeks on the road game time, it would have been hard for her to go and for, for Aranon not to miss her help. Because even that would have been a selfish thing, but it still would have been tolerable for him to have her on the road. And it would have been tougher for him to survive without her. As a player, I, I'm fascinated by the saga of Eliana and Aranon more so than than Crixus and um, the two of either of them, just because uh, the, a story of romance, we'll say, is way more intriguing than a friendship looking to kill bad guys. There's a lot more that you can do with characters when passion and interest romantically is involved. And so it, it opens avenues where... You know, you just have dialogue you would never have if we're just friends deciding where to go and, you know, what to kill next. It's just so much more fascinating where you can take the character development. So, you know, I think I was pretty clear from John, which on from the beginning, like if, if we want to get rid of Ellie, that's fine. But I, I really think there's a lot of cool things we can do here. Oh, there's and I have stuff in the bag yet that will. I have things and like I have moments in my head that will present themselves eventually sooner or later somehow that <laughs> there are things I want to do with Ellie that will be fun and lighten the mood or or damp depending on how you react <laughs> I love this stuff uh, anything else you guys want to talk about through those sessions or I'll uh, bring us to the end here of the uh, of the travels uh sessions 20 through 28 they uh riding newly acquired horses Aranon, eliana and crixus locate the dragon barrow possible resting place of the famed sword when Aranon briefly becomes trapped in dirt and rock the realities of adventuring become all too real carefully investigating the rest of the tomb becomes a more solemn affair but yields much needed equipment including the dragon slayer and explosive beads an unexpected find is a magical loot that becomes a fascination for Crixus. With advice from a centaur named Xanth, the party heads to the orc cult's main ritual site for Talos, the god of storms. An epic battle ensues, culminating with the summoning and subsequent defeat of Gorthok the Thunderbore. With the orcs finally eliminated, the party equips themselves for the climb into the Icespire Peaks to find the lair of Cryovane the White Dragon. The trek into the Frozen Peaks is treacherous, nearly claiming Crixus. Twice? Uh, but they find the abandoned ice fire hold, current lair of the dragon. A party of bandits waits for the dragon to leave, but are willing to let these few pass in hopes that easy treasure awaits them. A horrifying history unfolds as Aranon, Eliana, and Crixus traverse the ancient keep, made only more horrifying by Crixus's newly animated friend. Putting their well-thought-out plans and wondrous items into motion is almost undone by the icy exterior, but the adventurers win the day after many close calls. They leave the carcass to the bandits, but entertain a pleading request from Runa Vokdotter to help her family in Icetwind Dale. Toboggans are found to expedite the return trip down the mountain, and the party safely returns to Phandalin to celebrate with mead and music. A day of rest and recovery is required after the revelry. So, <laughs> yes. A lot a lot going on there. Um, yeah. I'll, uh, it, I'm going to start I think, with... Um, oh, go ahead. I, I just want to real quick... 
Like, if you think of, like, we had to travel on boats from town to town. Like, there is so much activity packed into that, those sessions. So, mm -hmm. so I'm going to start with uh, that whole boat ride. Was <laughs> oh. Yeah, so, oh, well, yeah, let's start there. We'll get, we'll get to the boat ride. Um, so Aaron was suffocating in the dirt and rocks. Uh, can you tell what each of you personally and your characters were thinking? I mean, obviously it meant death for Aaron. Uh, I mean, Crixus's level of exhaustion and Eliana at that point, uh, losing someone she just basically professed her love for. Uh, so go ahead and tell me stuff about that. Yeah, I was concerned. I uh, that, that week before I even messaged John, I must have been after I got stuck in the rocks. Um, I, I'm creating a new character. So just in case I die, I have, so I have a backup <laughs> and John's like, Oh, you'll be fine. I was like, e -e, am I though? Cause I am like stuck. I knew what I wanted to do to try and get him out. Um, as far as Eliana went and Eliana was panicked in the moment. Um, yes, she was shot down, but she still cares about her and she still does, and she said that, and we had the wonderful I am always honesty with you comment, which is still Thorm, probably one of my favorite sentences anyone's ever spoken. That's on the level of I'm proficient with drums in my mind, Jeff. Um, <laughs> it's just something his character just brought up randomly, and it ended up being exactly what they needed at the time to be proficient in drums. Um, but yeah, she was panicking, so... And I think the dice honestly came out reflecting that a bit. And like, some, sometimes they literally didn't advance in goal of getting them out. Um, I had had a, like, hit point total, basically, for the rocks. And every successful roll that they were getting, it was pulling some away. And eventually... I think the funniest thing is that Aranon couldn't do anything inside the rocks. Like his dice rolls literally reflected the fact that he was stuck. And it's really neat sometimes how the dice tell the story along with you. Yeah, that really made me nervous, by the way. Every time we rolled low, I'm like, shit, that's what I got. Son of a... <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I think Crixus would be a little bit take charge, being a little older and like just having a little bit more experience um so that's kind of what i reflected like when i noticed ellie was not um was not assisting right away like get your head in the game here we go you know this is just a this is just a thing that that we need um uh, more attention to and not less so uh, i thought that was a, a really cool moment where we kind of the first thing where we just all came together and needed to be on the same page or one of us was really in serious peril so kind of first time we got to reflect our our team atmosphere i think that was the moment when i realized yes keeping ellie around is a good idea the the, the story in that moment and and crixus's reaction to hey kid come on let's go our friends in trouble type thing it really was a i'm like oh yeah this will work this is going to be a good thing to keep her around. And that really kind of solidified that choice in that mind. Yeah, there was no combat in the Dragon Barrel, but it was one of the most dangerous settings with all the pit traps and everything else going on. 
Um, I noticed there was no there was no combat with the wisps, and I, there might have been another uh, another character, another creature in there that could have been combat. Did you intentionally leave leave those out, or because uh, um, I mean the story gets long if there's if everything stays in. Yeah, and it was my whole idea of that barrow and that as as I was reading through it is this is an old forgotten empty place other than these wisps who I didn't want to engage. I mean, you could have fought the wisps, but my whole idea with wisps technically, god, I say that that's a hell of a word to say, wisps. Wisps. <laughs> um I don't always I don't think of those ever as being a um violent uh, bunch although anyone that played ever the original everquest understands how easy a wisp can kill your ass um but i always see them as more trickery and leading and deceptive and i use them as spirits so to speak to lead to the traps and try and get the party to move amongst this um and just to instill a little bit of fear um I think the dungeon was plenty scary enough and had its own story uh, within it that I didn't actually need to introduce combat. Plus, it's very small combat, and there would be very tight. Mm -hmm. yeah, you made mention of uh, the dice telling the story. That comes up quite a bit, it seems like, in D&D. &D. Uh, in this one, uh, the, the story with the bandits. Uh, dice rolls was clutch. Uh, order of initiative... All kinds of stuff. Um, you want to talk about that or, or any others, and uh, that you remember the dice telling the story better than you could yourself, any, any of you. And uh, talk a little bit about Ernon, ready to throw down with the bandits and having to be, you know, suppress that. Oh, yeah. I was all about fighting. I wanted to take them out. Uh, I thought it was uh, the, the, the dice gods were unjust when I tried to kick the door down and she pushed back and the door didn't give you know that was you know it would have been on at that point and it turned out that we ended up not fighting any of them so that kind of I, I think that point right there with trying to knock down the door and not getting it done kind of adjusted the story and I'm not sure what JC thinks of that but I, I think no, that really dictated the story after that that is dice telling the story because you had an equal, like the strength challenge, the strength rolls were equal to each other. Had either one of those gone the other way, like you would have hit the door and fell over if she had a stronger one than you. She would have gotten knocked back had she had you had a stronger one than her. You guys hit the door and held the, with an equal strength check, so that door didn't move in that instance. So it's literally the dice telling the story at that moment, and that group was not there to fight clearly they weren't going up and fighting the dragon they don't they're there for loot and they're there for money um and it was so knowing that they weren't there to fight and knowing that they're humanoid they'd be willing to talk um and i mean speak of dice telling the story the um um what's her name runa missing seeing you guys she rolled a one on her perception check as you guys were coming up the trail she could have seen you guys easily and alerted then when you walk in there is a completely different story you possibly getting ambushed so and the fact that you guys didn't see her either 
So uh, there, there's a lot there that the dice just kind of set up that could have gone multiple different ways. Yeah, from I, I really, I really like the idea where you meet characters and you just don't attack them right away. I, I know that, like in in Dungeons and Dragons, the feeling is that everything is a threat, and that's true. But also, if your character just runs through life, seeing someone and attacking them, you're not living that long. <laughs> I mean. Some characters are more powerful than we are, so I think it was it was really interesting to to see that that moment where everything stopped and everybody's waiting to see what is the next action because the next action could trigger a a tense situation to become combat, and then how do we look after combat? Are we injured? Do we have to use a lot of spells? Is there a place for a long rest in this keep? Like suddenly we're behind the eight ball instead of in a position of advantage against the dragons. So I thought that was really an interesting moment. Yeah, and and we'll see how Aranon fares in the future with other situations like that. But you know, it's that impulse control issue and the screw it there in my way attitude is probably gonna get us in trouble again. I think one of my favorite things in D&D, and I've experienced it a couple of times, is to have the players an initiative and no one willing to fight, necessarily. But tension that rides in those moments on looking to each person in the initiative or is like, are you the one that's going to break this tension with either a word or an action? Is this going to go to combat, actually? Or are you going to say something that everyone's going to put their weapons away? And those moments where you're talking through an initiative is are some of the best moments in the game. Yeah, talking about negotiating with intelligent creatures, going all the way back to one of the early sessions, I believe manticores are intelligent enough that if you offer them treasure, they'll leave. And, you know, obviously being new to the game, that you wouldn't have had any idea that that was the case, but it could have been, uh, you know, if, they, if you'd offered food or, or treasure i think it you know runs away but but you, you don't notice that when you're looking at this giant flying lion beast you know yep. it's <laughs> not something you uh think you can negotiate with yeah and three sessions in there's no way i would have ever <laughs> thought of that i that's what's well, even the dragon you guys now it's a white dragon so and you might not know this but they're a bit more feral they're they're more reactionary and um but they can't talk and you might be able to reason with them. It would it would be difficult at best, but as we go further and further, if you come across other dragons, there's a good chance that they're fully intelligent, talk, thinking, capable, tricksy. Um, you can sit and have an actual conversation with them, and they may agree to help you. They may agree to something, get you to agree to something that they want done. That you may later go, oh shit, <laughs> when you realize what you did for them, depending on the dragon. So, speaking of the dragon, it looked like maybe you bumped up the dragon's stats, the hit points a little bit compared to what's in the the official. Was that based on the uh, the proficiency of the characters, the players, just your knowledge of how how tough this should be? A little peek behind the DM screen. Hit points are very fluid in combat with me. 
um i don't ever want a fight especially a boss fight to be something that is oh we're in done gone that we built for 27 sessions to get to that moment um i a lot of times i have a hit point total typically i'll take the max hit points i'll give any creature in the dm's guide or the monster manual, the maximum hit points. It has a hit point total that it says, and then it gives you dice as to what its actual hit dice are. And I will max out their hit points. And that's my starting point. Um, with this group, I just go there. Um, with my homebrew campaign, I go there and double it. Typically, it's my starting point. And then I will go around in and see how the fight is going. And then maybe make an adjustment within that range to between the hit point suggested total and the hit point maximum total and i'll adjust between there to depending on how the first round or two goes to make sure that the fight is four to five rounds theoretically um because if you start getting in the eight and ten rounds it feels like it's dragging on if you're one or two rounds and it's over it seems like it was over too quick so it's, it's all I think if you get to behind the screen if you get to eight rounds against a tough opponent, I, I gotta think what's happening is your characters are dying and you're spending turns trying to figure out how to keep each other alive instead of killing that creature. And then you kind of, there's a feeling of hopelessness that you're not getting ahead, that you're getting further behind. And uh, if you can, I, I think five rounds. That's a lot of damage you should be able to do in that five rounds and really see where things are at. So, yeah. so if you guys come out the gate and you're, you're swinging and you got freaking you lay 100 damage on them in the first round. Oh, yeah, I'm going to the max end of that hit point total. Um, if you come out and you don't hit them the first round, I may dial it back some. So it's, it, it is always and and telling my players that all three of you are players in one campaign of mine or another or multiple of my campaigns um for me it's always about a story so and combat still is part of the story and if we can make the combat epic and feel fantastic and there are great story moments um i'm gonna do it uh and at the end of the day i i want all of you to be entertained and smiling and laughing and having a good time and it seems to work so <laughs> yeah so far so good yep and there there are yes. and along the same lines that if someone does something incredibly like massive crit hit or something and i i look at it and i i am keeping track of a hit point total behind the screen if i get there and there's like one or two hit points left on this massive moment that's a critical hit that's like 800 or not 800, but like 85, 100 damage, something like that. And I look at the math and there's two hit points left. No, you killed them. I'm not going to, I want it to end on that glorious moment instead of someone just walking in and going, poke. <laughs> but I always, it, it's fluid, fluid for the story. So. Not, not so much a co uh, question, but uh, you, you've said repeatedly uh, throughout the campaign, making sure your character or your players are smiling at the end of a session. Not sure that, that everyone's smiling when everyone takes 124 hit points and is blown a thousand feet away, but that's a story for a different campaign. <laughs> there's a there's a there's an arch cliffhanger. Fair. 
That's a fair <laughs> statement. <laughs> huh. That seems interesting from my standpoint. That's my so, homebrew campaign. I kind of all left them and whether or not they're alive or dead. <laughs> nice. Which we'll resolve on Friday. Yes. Uh, anything from this session, or I've got some uh, some po some aftermath questions, or some kind of where are we now questions? Unless you guys want to talk specifically about uh, any stuff in in sessions twenty through twenty eight. Um. Oh, the the sword. Um. I presented that sword quest on the board, and went. Oh, it might be too early for that one. And that's when I realized that I realized that in the moment, and that's why I put it in the Comic Sans print and kind of made it more of a joke type thing and an obsession for Ellie, um, so that I could actually present it at the appropriate time, so that I didn't kill you guys. <laughs> I went, oh crap! I wasn't supposed to put that one on there. So there are things I do sometimes that I correct myself through the story, and that worked, and it worked. because I completely disregarded it. Yeah. As a, as a making joke. Ellie endearing in 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 her the, the, like the childlike whimsy to want to go look for this legendary sword, which was actually a thing. So, well, and it also uh, it also gave them then the option to take the trip down the river to Neverwinter, which may not have happened had they gone to the barrel first. Oh yeah, we were going to talk was... about that trip. A trip down the river on the boat with the barrels, that was all. I'm like, okay, we're on the river. What what kind of encounters would they have? Well, they're moving this, moving these things back for a deposit. That's important to them. So, well, here, let's, thre let's threaten the thing they've been charged with. So that was all kind of a, a fun uh, little improv. Yeah, I, I thought that was fun, too. It just... It was not your normal combat, but it felt like combat. Like, what are you doing? You have to do something, otherwise the value here is lost. And yeah. so it did feel important, even though probably in the grand scheme, like whether that barrel lives or dies is not important to us. But the moment felt important for us as a team figuring it out. So. Also, yeah. we actually had the opportunity to fall in the water, and whether we made it out of the water was another thing. And then as, as everything mm -hmm. was kind of going down the river, you know, somebody falls in, somebody gets left behind, somebody gets banged into a rock and dies. Somebody, you know, there's there's a lot of, even though it wasn't battle, it was still kind of life and death. Mm -hmm. And that's really, uh, it all kind of stemmed from me trying to, and I'm learning this as a DM, traveling. If nothing's going to happen, just have them travel. Say it went by without anything, don't walk through every step of it. I And I've, in the beginning struggled with this, even some of my homebrew stuff, um, being in a bar every night, not every, nothing has to happen at the bar. Every time you're at the bar at night, um, especially when you're traveling for three days on the road. So it was a, uh, just learning how to tell a better story and traveling on the boat. I'm like, Oh, I can do something with this. This will actually be fun. And like you said, threaten the group. Yeah, you can threaten your life, threaten your money. You've been charged with taking care of these barrels and you're going to give a deposit for what you bring back. So it's important, at least in that sense. Mm -hmm. A couple general questions yeah, there? Yeah, we got about uh, yeah, five, so, ten minutes yet. So, Yeah, I got, uh, I think, two more that are worth uh, making sure we get them in here. Uh, so none of these characters seem to have been part of a party like this before. How's it going for these loners? 
Uh, well, I'll Eric? tell you from Crixus' perspective, yeah. um, Crixus has been basically, as part of just like a cleric group, been told what to do his whole life. And he's kind of out now figuring out who he is as a person. And that's why I thought it, it was interesting as the activity led him to more of a bard. Maybe he always was a bard in the body of a cleric because just everyone around him was influencing him to be cleric. So I think that that's kind of where my thought process was headed now after everything's happened. So. Yeah, and Aranon has, I mean, he's adapting to actually being with people in general. Because um, clearly for however many years, 30 years, he was on his own, doing his own thing, making his own decisions, making up his own mind. And now he has other people to uh, consider. Other options and other ideas are being thrown out there that he has never thought of. And he kind of feels almost not responsible, but kind of like not trapped either, but kind of that feeling of I can't leave, but I can leave, but I have to think for myself, but damn it, there's other people here. Shit. <laughs> Ellie fell in love. And Ellie cares about Aaron a lot. Aaron loves and... gold. And Aaron loves gold, and Ellie understands this, but she still wants to take care of him. Um, and so, whether it is romantically or like a brother sister relationship, um, she cares about him and is not going to leave him. And then, when Crixus joined, and like I said earlier, became kind of this father figure almost, Ellie is seeing this more and more as it goes on as a family um, <clears throat> that she never really had. Uh, she doesn't know her parents she this this is some backstory that hasn't been revealed yet that she she grew up in the church she's 24 she was she had finished her training and they asked her what she wanted to do and she said I want to help the world and they said go help the world and that's what she's doing so um, for the first time other than the church which is different altogether her relationship with the church this is a family a small group of people that she sees as a family yeah it sounds like they all kind of are family list looking maybe maybe not necessarily looking for their family but finding it in this little group mm -hmm. so um last last question for me then uh the and the only share as much as you have to this is one of those leading uh questions the next module you said taking on the quest from Runa to help out her father and the rest of Icewind Dale Ten Towns. Um, but you've had some interesting uh, potential other stories here that may not necessarily directly tie. We've had Harpers, we've had Zentarum, we've had Acquisitions Incorporated, we've had a, a lot of things that, that could find their way in there. Do you want to Without spoiling anything, do you want to talk about where we're headed next and maybe some of those those tie-ins or, or anything? Or or maybe you want to stay silent on the whole deal? Um, a lot of that is we're going through Neverwinter, and Neverwinter is a big city. Um, not having decided at the moment what we were going to do next, I wanted to leave options open. I wanted to present 
um, a lot of that episode, like bringing in the Acquisitions Incorporated, was based on that episode, the mention of Pantera, the mention of a Denny's menu. There was a lot of real world references in that moment. And I was feeling, wow, this 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 session feels very Ack Inc. for me. So I presented that in that session, not knowing where we were going next. And maybe that's the direction it goes. Maybe they hooked up with Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, it ended up being a means to an end to get the horses. Um, it's still options that and playing in the forgotten realms the harpers and the zentarm are going to be present um and it it may there may be some interactions with them along the way i mean port city neverwinter luskin um fireshire these are all cities along the way where there may be there may be people I was reading other adventures at the time where the Zentarum and Harper's and the uh, Emerald Enclave and the Lord's Alliance are all heavily present in them. And I'm like, well, if we go that route, I have ties into that story. Uh, the nice thing here is that Runa Voxdaughter is actually from Icewind Dale. I was reading it and her, her little backstory blurb is she's from Icewind Dale. I'm like, oh, how perfect is that? We're going to do Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Hey, here, help my dad, please. Suddenly, awesome. I have a way to. Ninety percent of starting of a, ninety-five percent of starting an adventure is, how do we get there? How do we get into it? It was it was a fantastic coincidence, and that, honestly, I don't think it's a coincidence. I'm sure that wizards plots little hooks like that all the time, and if you go back and look at it, you can see when things are. Like if you're paying attention to what they're talking about going in through their podcasts and adventures that they run, watch watch Critical Role. If you understand right now, where are they? They're in the north, in the frozen area. If watch when Ghost of Saltmarsh came out, where were they? They were on a boat. Uh, like even going all the way back to when Curse of Strahd initially came out, where did they go? They went to Whitestone. Matt's using wizard stuff frequently and he, he follows their settings and drops them. He has places within his world that are those settings and story presents itself to go in those directions. I want to thank you all today for, for uh, dealing with my questions and, and uh, letting me be part of this, especially, uh, you know, having watched this from the beginning, it's, definitely a, a something to do on sunday mornings so uh thank you for letting me be a part of that and thank you for all your insights into your characters yourselves and, and the story in general yeah thanks uh thanks for moderating i think i speak on behalf of uh Cooch and john when i say that you are pretty much uh as big a part of this as as they are um being in the chat and checking us on stats and uh giving us ideas and you know kind of correcting us in ways sometimes and just being funny in general i, I think we <laughs> yeah, I think we appreciate it, and I, I think it's it's been a great addition as well. Yeah, and I think it's interesting having someone that's not deep into the characters. Like, I know what I think the character is doing, and then I'll bounce it off Jeff. And it's it's interesting to for Jeff to say, you know, your character did this. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, that is something to think about, because although I think my character would do this, he's actually been confronted with the situation and this is the choice he made. So this, this really feels organically correct 
to do. And, and I think just having that outside influence is, is helpful to check yourself and, and your own ideas sometimes. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. Um, and I think that's going to close up our session today. Then I think, uh, we have a great, uh, cleanup session, uh, today kind of recapping everything. And it's, it's a nice hopping on point for a lot of people. If, if you're looking for a new, uh, Dungeons and Dragons podcast, we've been kind of putting that out there this past week, that this is a good starting point. And I think, uh, you know, next session, we are actually closing up that, that final segment, I guess you would say we have to, you know, a couple things to do before we hop into the, closing will happen. the closing of that adventure will happen in about five minutes. Yep. <laughs> I'm really going to kind of walk over the loose ends you guys got and just get us moving towards Icewind Dale right away. That sounds <laughs> good. My yeah. So keep, keep an eye on us uh, for next session. Uh, I might as well close it up now. Uh, we yeah. are all on Twitter. Crazy Cooch, C-R-A-Z-Y-K-O-O-C-H. Wildfire1265, W-I-L-D-F-I-R-E-1265. I am Tom M. Norman, T-O-M-M-N-O-R-M-A-N. We are two nerds, one quest. The number two, nerds, the number one, quest. Genius is not on Twitter? Just created one about a week ago. Oh, that's right. So you that's, are. What same is it? as my handle here, LazyDragonGB. Okay, LazyDragonGB. L-A-Z-Y-D-R-A-G-O-N-G-B. And John looks confused and is now going to search for him. I'm going ah, to ah, ah. Him. <laughs> I didn't realize that had happened, I don't think. That's right. I remember that now. Um, we are also patreon.com slash tuners one quest uh, give us some support and actually what we're really looking for right now is reviews give us a review wherever you get your podcast from uh, Apple uh, podcast seems to be the most uh, normal way for people to, to give ratings that seems to be where the place where people are rating uh, but anywhere that you get it give us a rating uh, leave us some some comments let us know what you think. Let us, you know, don't let us know what you think. Just tell us something random. Give us a random fact about your D&D character. Um, but just, yeah, give us a rating. Hopefully five stars, but, you know, we're trying to work towards that. Uh, and we also have, so after we're done, Twitch usually holds videos for, uh, I think it's four or five weeks. Um, but usually within a day after this session is over, I upload it to YouTube. So you can go back and view all of our videos on YouTube. Um that link is in our show notes and it may be in our Twitter account as well. I'll make sure of that. So go back, watch some episodes if you want to catch up or actually want to revisit some stuff. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, so for the Lazy Dragon Genius Jeff, for the GM Mr. JC, and for Crixus Cooch, I am Aaronon Norm. We shall see you next session. Peace. Peace.